Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. But uh, we're in this series that we're actually wrapping up today. And uh, how many of you guys have been blessed by this series so far? I know I have been as I've studied and prepared. We're, it's called Doubting God. And um, we're going to wrap this up. I, I would encourage you that if you haven't heard uh, the rest of the messages, that if you find yourself in the Doubters Club, which a lot of us were in the Doubters Club, it's even some of us that are walking with Jesus, me included, still have our doubts, Right. Uh, that, that it's okay, that your doubts don't, uh, they don't, they don't threaten God. He's not intimidated by your doubts or your questions and concerns, okay? So, so you can have those things, and I think having your doubts means it's a, it's a uh, it doesn't disqualify you from having a relationship with God, and also it's an invitation to a deeper relationship with God if you're willing to pursue uh, those doubts and find out what really is truth. And so uh, that's what we've been talking about in this series. Today I'm going to wrap it up with, with just a question. You ever wonder why? Uh, the Bible and science, that there seems to be, uh, that they're in conflict with each other, that they're constantly at odds with each other. You ever wonder that question? I mean, it's easy to see, right? Because when you look at, at Christianity versus science, which is not really a versus thing, but if you, if you did do that comparison, you know, just talking about some really important things in Christianity, we, we believe that God created the the, the, the whole universe, everything in it, in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested, right? Whereas, you know, science believes in the theory of evolution and the Big Bang theory, right? That, this is what science teaches. And, and, and people that are on the, the side of science say, you know, there's just no way, there's no way that any educated, rational, thinking person looks at scientific evidence and then believes all this Christian mumbo-jumbo stuff. It's how we, they talk about our faith. Reminds me of a, of a story that I heard that this little girl was, she's in fifth grade, and, and, and her teacher was talking about the story of Jonah and the whale, which she had just heard in her Sunday school class. And she's like telling her teacher about it, and her teacher's going on about the scientific improbabilities of a man being swallowed by a whale and being in his belly for three days and then being vomited up on the ocean. She's like, it's just not possible. It never happened. Which, by the way, um, we, we've discovered the, the, the whales, by the way, that are big enough to, to swallow humans and hold them for a few days. So it kind of is. But anyway, I digress. Um, this teacher's telling her how it's just not possible. And she goes, no, they told me about it in Sunday school. It's in my Bible, so it has to be true. And the teacher says, it did not happen. The little girl, of course, responds to the teacher, you know what, when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah. And the teacher says, well, what happens if Jonah's not there? And the girl says, well, when you die and you get to hell, you can ask him. People want to believe. They want to follow Jesus, but they struggle because at some point in their spiritual journey, what's going to happen is they're, they're going to read an article, and it's going to talk about all the number of contradictions that are in the Bible, which, by the way, I think you just need to explore a little more to understand culture and context to understand those are not contradictions. Someday you're going to be in a class, and the professor is going to dismiss the claims of Christianity. You're going to watch some video on YouTube that discredits creation. 
You're going to have friends and family that have a point of view that differs from yours and from Scripture. And the next thing you know, because one part of your belief system is shaken, you find that this immature faith that you potentially have begins to crumble. Could happen to you, could happen to somebody that you know. But today I want to answer the question, can I believe in God and science? Can I believe in God and science? Because really, it does feel like if you're navigating this territory, if you're navigating these waters, it does feel like science and scripture at odds with each other, that there is some kind of conflict. But the reason it seems this way is because some see the relationship between science and the Bible as competitive instead of cooperative. We see them as in a, in a battle with each other instead of working together. We see the relationship as either or instead of the thing that God created, that like he created both, and they support one another. He created scripture and he created science. God created both. It's interesting that around 400 years after the birth of Jesus, St. Augustine of Hippo believed and taught that science and the Bible were complementary Instead of competitive, he believed and taught that the conflict between science and faith comes from either misunderstanding science or misinterpreting the Bible. So the conflict exists because we simply don't understand the scientific process. We don't understand scientific principles. We just misunderstand it. Or we misunderstand the Bible. We misunderstand its context because the Bible was written and it talks about a people and a culture and a time period that none of us exist in. They, have, they, have, they had their own slang. They had their own hand gestures. They did. They're in the Bible. They got, they got crazy stuff like they took off their shoes or to make a promise. You would place your hand under a man's thigh, which don't, let me get, don't get me started there to explain what that means. There's a culture and a context. These people lived underneath the, the Greek Empire, and then later the Roman Empire, and, and, and yet they were still, they maintained their identity as these Jewish people. They're saying stuff that we couldn't possibly relate to. Jesus is telling stories about shepherds and things that, I mean, any shepherds or farmers in this room? There might be a few, maybe one, but the rest of us can't understand that. We can't relate to it. And so when we just read the words on the page, we misunderstand sometimes the culture and the context. We misunderstand its intent or the way that it was written. And so we misunderstand science or we misinterpret the Bible and creates this conflict. It makes them feel like they're at odds with each other. But, but St. Augustine's view was, was the dominant view for like 1,500 years that, that science and, and scripture are supposed to complement each other. They're supposed to be hand in hand, until the scientific boom of the 1800s, where there's this age of enlightenment that happens, and there's discovery after discovery, and knowledge is increasing at, a, at this breakneck speed. And what happened is, is science explains some things. Science is starting to explain everything. And the, and the church, the dominant church, the Roman Catholic church, of that day and of that time period, Christians in general got all upset, felt threatened by science, started persecuting science. They said science was an attack on their faith. 
Now, the problem when you pit these two things against each other, when there's a competition, it always means that there's winners and that there's losers. So if you're somebody that, that says science is the winner, then the Bible loses. If you're somebody that says scripture is our sole winner here, then science loses. But what if the relationship between the science and the Bible is meant to, isn't meant to be competitive, it's meant to be cooperative? What if it's meant to be cooperative? What if instead of either or, we approach it going both and, and we allow the Bible to show us the glory of God's creation as we study it through science? So you struggle with that. But you know what? We do this both and a whole lot in our lives. Like, let me just show you. If you're having a birthday party, you don't make the decision between two things. It's an and and a both. Let me, let me see if you can finish these and words, okay? So, for example, if I say cake and, you'll say, yeah, okay. So, so, so you, that's an and both. Yeah. All of it. Give me an ice cream cake. Oh, now we're talking. Ooh, my goodness. Mm. Peanut butter and? Yeah, there you go. Now you're catching on. Ben and? That's right. Salt and? Eggs and? So this side of the room is playing. You guys have fallen asleep. I'm not sure what's going on over here. So this is a group participation effort, okay? Maybe I'm going too fast. Barbie and? Fish and? Dogs and? No, no, no. Just more dogs. It's just no cats. Those things are from the devil. I'm just telling you. Listen, you cannot tell me, you cat owners, that you have ever looked at your cat and not understood that they are devising your demise. They're planning it. The Egyptians knew this. I'm just saying. Cut and? Yeah, smoke and? Mirrors. Mirror, that's the last one. No, last, that was just that was for me. Oh, I bet you all know this one. Young people know this one. Netflix and? But only if you're married. <laughs> only if you're married. Some of you are like, Pastor, do you know what that is? You bet I know what that is. You better believe I know what Netflix and chill means. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> What? We, we, <laughs> well, you can know what it is. That's all right. <laughs> We're about to have a whole other conversation up in here. <laughs> Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Do y'all know, can I just tell you something funny that happened last week? So I have a lot of mannerisms and things that I do, things that I repeat, things that you can expect from me on a Sunday morning. Well, I have loving friends here in this congregation who turned that into a bingo board. And last Sunday when I began preaching, everybody, there were many unsuspecting people who got a text message from one of these people that love me dearly. And I do believe they love me dearly. And the bingo board contained things like, he says, bless my soul, or he hits the mic, which I just did for you if you're playing today. So if you hear a bingo, that's what's going on. You say, Aaron, are you, aren't you upset that people are playing bingo during service? No, because in order to play, they have to listen. So no, I'm not offended. I'm flattered. Thank you. It's hilarious. <laughs> I digress. Let me get back to my message here. But, it, but I think it's like, where is it? I want to play. Uh, some Sunday I'll have one for you, all right? We'll pass them out to everybody. 
But as Christians, I think it's important that, that we be the people who, you know, most of all, accept this both and more than anyone else. Because our faith, by the way, is defined by a whole bunch of both ands. Look in the scripture, Revelation twenty two thirteen. 13. Jesus didn't say, I'm the alpha or the omega. I'm the first or the beginning. He said, no, I'm both of those. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. We look at who Jesus is. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. It's a mystery. We can't understand how you can be 100% God and 100% man. That math doesn't add up. You can't put, it doesn't make sense. But yet that's who he was. He was fully God and fully man who John 1.14 says, came from the Father, watch this, full of grace, oh, thank God, and truth. Full of grace and truth. In Hebrews, it tells us, that our job is to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So instead of seeing this as a competition, we need to recognize that God created it all. And if we do that, I think we can learn from both science and the Bible. It's important that we learn to do that. Because really, the Bible, Scripture, and, and science, these are two very different tools that we use for two very different things. Come on, somebody. You guys understand that. We use different tools every day for different things. Like, I don't know if you guys uh, have ever heard of magnet fishing. Anybody heard of magnet fishing? Oh, I am enamored with magnet fishing. Just, I just want to say it, like, just sucks me right in. I was attracted to it. It's this force that pulled me in. I, wa- I know it's not good, but I do. I watch him. I watch him. I've got to follow this guy on TikTok. He goes magnet fishing. What he does is he takes this really powerful magnet, puts it on the end of a rope, and he throws it into a river, drags it across the bottom to see if he can find things. Do you know what he's not fishing for? Fish. He's not. He's fishing for something that might be on the... And you wouldn't believe the things that they pull out of a riverbed that, that isn't food. That is valuables. I've seen them pull a safe out that had money and stuff in it. These are powerful magnets that they're using. That's a different tool. If you wanted to fish for fish, you're going to use bait. You're not going to use a magnet, right? We understand different tools for different things. And and the magnet is a tool that has a designated purpose. And science is a tool uh, as well. And we can say that as a tool, science seeks the truth about our natural world. But scripture reveals the truth about our supernatural God. So they're, they're not in competition with each other. They are cooperative. Both of them work together. Our supernatural God created this natural world. So we get into scripture to learn about him, and we looked into science to study his creation. They're cooperative. There's a guy named John Cavanaugh. He's a famous ethicist. And he was, he was off searching for his purposes. By the way, if you don't know what an ethicist is, there's somebody that gives you advice and counsel on life's trickiest situations and moral dilemmas. Like they've made it their job to explore these things and offer counsel, okay? So this is who he is, and he's struggling with his purpose here on earth. And so he goes to the one place where he thinks he's going to get some answers. He goes and finds Mother Teresa in Calcutta, India. And he begins to serve with her in, in, in these places, serving sick people. And one day he finally gets to have a conversation with her. And she asks, John, how can I pray for you? He wrote all about, all about this in his book. It's on, on, uh, you can find it if you typed in his name online. Um, but she said, how can I pray for you? And John said, you know what the thing I need most? I need clarity. I, I need clarity. And I think if, if, if a lot of us had the opportunity to have Mother Teresa pray for us, we, 
this was the thing. We, we might ask for this too. Clarity, why am I here? I need clarity. And she said, no, I won't, I won't pray that prayer for you, John. Clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. And he responded, but you, Mother Teresa, you seem to have clarity. And her response was simple but beautiful. She said, I have never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. Isn't that beautiful? Many of us feel like what we need most is clarity. It isn't clarity. It isn't understanding at all. What we need most is to trust God. That's what we need. Because you may not ever have clarity on this earth. You're not God, and neither am I. We may not ever have it. But if we think that Christianity is all about us having all of the answers, my friends, you have built your faith on a shaky foundation. Jesus talked about doing this. He said, he said, there's foundations you can have. You can build your house on the sand or you can build it on a rock. And I'm telling you that building your faith on having all of the answers, knowing it all, being certain about things, is a shaky foundation. It's building it on the sand. So when the storms come, the foundation will erode away and the house will fall. Your faith will not stand the test of time. Our faith instead must be built on Jesus and in him alone. It must be on simply having faith, having trust in him. He is a steady foundation. So we need to learn to think more scientifically, I think, about our faith. We need to think more scientifically about our faith. Anybody uh, remember, remember studying science in school and learning the scientific method? Or the scientific process? Anybody remember that? So the idea behind it is this, this is what science looks like. This is how we study. We have some questions. We create a hypothesis about what we think will happen when A plus B. We, 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 we were trying to determine what that we think that equal is. See? And so we, we set up a hypothesis or a theory, and then we test it. Does A plus B actually equal C? Then we record the results and we draw some conclusions. That's the scientific method, right? We, we go through a process. And if the hypothesis is proven, well, it just becomes a fact or maybe even a law or a principle, a scientific principle. But in science, if your hypothesis is disproven, do you know what people don't do? They don't go, well, I'm done with science. No more of this. No, what happens if the test fails, if the hypothesis is incorrect, they go back and they adjust the hypothesis and they test again. They go back and they do it over and over again. And as Christians, when we see challenges to our ideas about God, we just tap out. That's not the way it ought to be. We can't give up on God. Remember last week I said, when you're in doubt, go find out. Don't sit there and hang out in that space where you doubt something is true. God gives us a constant invitation to see that he's good. It's an invitation. And when we're challenged, we need to understand that that challenge is an opportunity for us to pursue a deeper understanding of who God is. Because it's rare in life that you're ever going to be 100% certain. You know that? It's just rare. You're just not going to find it. You know, for years, even in the scientific world, it's really funny when you look at, at what people used to be certain about. And what they are certain is not true today. 
You know, it used to be, used, they used to believe that the world was, the, that the earth was the center of the universe and that the entire universe revolved around the world. Galileo was persecuted by the church when he came out and said, nope, the earth is orbiting around the sun and the sun is the center of the universe, of our universe. They were like, no, no thanks. And he suffered extreme persecution because of that. We also used to believe that the earth was flat. We know now that it's round, unless you watch a lot of YouTube videos and you still think the world is flat, which is fine. We used to think a lot of things about pregnancy and babies. We used to think that, that the best sleeping position was on their back, then it was on their belly, then it was on their side. We used to say that it was okay to smoke during pregnancy. We used to say that it was okay to drink diet soda during pregnancy. You used to be able to get into a hot tub and on an airplane when you were pregnant, and now, not so much. There's a lot of things that we used to think. We were certain we're okay and are not anymore. We used to think that smoking cigarettes was okay, that, that this is fine, it's just pleasurable. And now we know that it's destroying your lungs and causing cancer, right? Now, then, then vaping came along. It's just water vapor. I even said that. It's just water vapor. It's no big deal. It's a big deal. People getting popcorn lung and in the hospitals from vaping. Like, it's dangerous. And it seems to act a lot quicker than smoking tobacco. If you're playing bingo, that was one of them. You know what I'm saying? Are we all listening? Like, there's stuff that we used to believe. We were certain on it, and now we've changed our minds. We learn differently. It's rare that we can be 100% about certain 100% certain about anything because we're never going to have all the answers. And at some point, especially in your spiritual journey, you're going to have to have faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things you can't see. It's stuff you can't study. You're just going to have to trust. You don't have to have or know every answer to every question to trust in Jesus. It'll always take faith. It'll always take faith. So here's what I want to do today. I want to I use science and scripture and help us to build our faith today. I want to look at three fun facts, three fun qualities, I guess, maybe, uh, that will help us today. And the first thing I want to challenge you to do as we look to build our faith using Scripture and science is to look at the beginning of everything. Look at the beginning of everything. You know, the best place to see how the Bible and science work together is the very first verse of the Bible. In Genesis 1.1, it says this, In the beginning, God. Pause. See, some of us understand that there was a beginning... But we oftentimes mistake the beginning of this as being God's beginning. It, it was the beginning of our story, not the beginning of his. We're talking about an eternal God who extends in eternity beyond us, beyond our time, and behind our time. Wrap your head around that. You can't. You just can't. In the beginning, God existed. And God created the heavens, and the earth. It's interesting to me that more than 3,000 years ago, Scripture declared this, that there is a beginning to the universe. But it's only been the last 100 years that science has actually come out and authoritatively declared that the universe had a beginning. It used to be believed that the universe stretched on in eternity and has always been here. But it's not. Why is that so interesting? 
Because this is prior to the Big Bang theory, most atheist scientists claimed it was eternal. Why does it matter? Well, because if the universe had a beginning, it means that it had a beginner. When you see a watch, you know that that watch did not make itself. If you're looking at a, if you have a watch on your wrist, take a look at your watch. You look at that thing and you know that thing did not just form itself. That that watch exists on your wrist because there was a watchmaker, somebody who designed it and put it together with intentionality, on purpose, with a purpose. Come on, somebody. And when you look around this world, you need to understand it was created on purpose, with purpose. That there is a creator who made it. It is not done by accident. There was a cause outside of itself that caused the world to exist. And as Christians, we believe God said, let there be, and it was. On his word alone. Now, it takes faith to believe the Bible. I hear you. But you know what? To me, it takes more faith to believe the Big Bang Theory. Let me help you. First of all, it is a theory. It's stuck in that hypothesis state in the scientific method. You know why? Because nobody was there when it happened. Nobody can observe it. And the conditions under which they said that it has happened, they've never been able to recreate in a lab. So it remains in the theory. What we have is a very strong faith system and a confirmation bias that when we see things in God's creation, we go, well, that supports my theory. Therefore, it makes it fact. Friends, be careful when science and people begin calling something that is a theory fact. I'm okay with the Big Bang Theory existing as long as you understand it takes just as much faith to believe that thing as it does to believe that the Bible is true. In fact, because when you apply the scientific method to the Big Bang Theory, it fails, it remains that theory. Listen to what the Big Bang Theory is. According to the theory, the universe was extremely dense and hot. There was so much energy in the universe during those first few moments. The matter as we know it couldn't form, but the universe expanded rapidly, which means it became less dense and cooled down as it expanded. Matter began to form, and radiation began to lose energy. In only a few seconds, the universe formed out of a singularity that stretched across space. Man, that sounds really smart. Must be true. Do you know what happens when you hold science up against science? This theory fails. It violates the first law, thermodynamics, which says you can't create or destroy matter or energy. That's kind of problematic. This is why I'm like, it takes more faith to believe that that's real because it actually violates science principles that we have verified than it does to believe the Bible is real. But I guess I'm making you all a little uncomfortable this morning. I can feel that in this room. That's okay. <laughs> I've been praying for us all. I have been. I'm praying for us all because I understand that I'm, I'm challenging things that we've all been, that, that we've been taught is fact. I'm okay with it existing in the theory world. I'm fine with that. Creation is a powerful example of science supporting what the Bible said 3,000 years ago. There is a beginning. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And if you're looking for a big bang, here's one. God said, let there be light. And bang, there was light. There you go. There's your big bang. So number one, look at the beginning. Number two, look at the design of the universe. Genesis 1, 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And watch, the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So God shows up on the scene. This thing is, is formless. And he begins to design it. And he begins to create it. 
so that we can enjoy it, so that we can have this earth. He begins to design it with intentionality. Everything was created with beauty and purpose involved, even down to the simple idea of a seed. Take a seed, plant it in the ground. It rains, and what happens to that seed? It becomes a plant. It begins to grow. And as it bursts through the soil, the sun begins to pour down upon it. And through, the, through a scientific process we know as photosynthesis, where light is turned into food, that plant begins to grow, and it blossoms, and it produces fruit. And an animal comes along. This looks delicious, nom, nom, nom. And the plant is eaten. And then a man comes along and says, this animal looks delicious. Nom, 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 with some ketchup and mustard, please and thank you. And then the man dies. And the man returns back to, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. Dust, yeah, right. Because remember, we're nothing but dust. Not butt dust. We are butt dust. If you missed that message, you need to listen to that message. Somebody's like, did he just call me butt dust? <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> but, but we return back to the earth, all to create a place for another seed to be planted. Some would say it's the circle of life. Bingo. And it moves us all. Yep, all right. But isn't that interesting? To me, it's impossible that all of this is the result of a random chance. It must be the result of a divine designer. I think it takes more faith to believe that it randomly happened by chance than to believe that it was created with intention and purpose. In fact, scientific studies prove that the universe has these around 150 different astronomical constants that if any one of them changed, you know what would happen to us here on this earth? We would die. It's a true story. For example, if the Earth's axis, because you know the Earth is not straight up and down like this. It's kind of tilted a little bit. If it was tilted just a little more or a little less, do you know what happens? We die. If we were a little bit closer to the sun, do you know what happens? We die. If the world spun 10% faster, there would be a worldwide flood, and do you know what happens to us all? Yeah, we die. We die. Sir Roger Penrose, who was also a scientist and an atheist, calculated the likelihood of the universe having such a precise design. And he said the likelihood was 1 in 10 billion to the 123rd power. That's 10 billion with 123 zeros after it. 1 in 10 billion to the 123rd power. You are more likely to win the lottery and, and to win the lottery, excuse me, 10,000 times in a row and every time you won be struck by lightning. Then it, it, you're more likely. Some of you are sitting here listening and you're looking at those odds and you're like, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess so. The late Christopher Hitchens, who was also an atheist, called this the most compelling argument for the existence of God, that the likelihood that the odds are so astronomical. 
King David wrote this in Psalms 19, verse 1 through 2. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. This is just another example of science and scripture working together, showing the glory of our creator and a master designer. So look at the beginning. Look at the design. And then I'm going to ask you to look at the resurrection of Jesus. You say, Aaron, didn't we do this last week? Yes, we did. But I need you to understand that there are all kinds of sciences that apply this scientific method. Researching history is an important one of those sciences. And this thing about Jesus' resurrection is one of the things that makes Christianity unique. You know that? Because here's the thing. If Jesus didn't die, all of this is for nothing. Or if he didn't raise from the dead, excuse me, all of this is for nothing. Our faith is meaningless. In fact, Christianity is the only religion that is falsifiable based on the evidence of the resurrection, that if it didn't happen, it means nothing. In fact, the Bible is the one that gives us these parameters. Do you know that? It's the only faith that gives us the, pre- the parameters. It's, it's, scripture says this in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, none of this matters. Now, we know he did. So look at the resurrection of Jesus. There was a study that was done on the resurrection. And I think, just pay attention to the wording here. It's important. Don't dismiss it just because these are facts that support the resurrection. Look at how it's worded. Look at what it says. These are the six minimal facts surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And in order for these facts to be on this list, the guy who who did the research and did the study, he had 3,400 sources, some that were Christian, others that were secular, okay? And he looked at historians that were Christian, and he looked at historians that were not. He looked into it, and 34, over 400, or 3,400 different sources, and of all the sources, in order for a fact to be on this this list of six, it had to be supported by 90% of the 3,400 resources, okay? So that means that it was repeated over and over over and over again and confirmed. So these are the facts. They're not faith. It's not fake news. It's not made up. They're facts. And if you want to see the research that was done, you can go to GaryHabermas.com, G-A-R-Y-H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S.com. You can see it all. But the first fact is this. Jesus was a real person, and he died by Roman crucifixion. This fact just says Jesus was a real person. He walked this earth. He did. It doesn't confirm. This this fact does not confirm that he was who he says he was. It just confirms that he was a real person, and he was really crucified by a real Roman government that was oppressing the Jewish people. Right? Second fact. Jesus' followers experienced what they believed to be actual appearances of a resurrected Jesus. So we've got the testimony of all these people that followed him. And it wasn't just the 11, it was hundreds of people that said they saw him alive. Number three fact, because of those experiences, those followers were willing to die for their faith in Jesus' resurrection. Now let me tell you something, you don't die for something that isn't true. They literally were taken to their grave because they professed that they saw a dead man walking. They saw him alive. 
They saw him dead. They saw him alive again. But he was resurrected. If you don't really believe that, if you haven't really seen a dead man walking, you recount or recant. You, you change your story. You renounce it. But instead, they held to the truth and it cost them their lives. Number four, in fact, the Christian church started right after Jesus was killed, right where Jesus was killed, in the city of Jerusalem. My wife and I are going to be there in two weeks. I cannot wait. We're going to walk the streets where Jesus walked. Christianity started right in the place where they killed him. Number five, James, the brother of Jesus, was not a Christian. In other words, that means his brother grew up with him, all right? And you got to know your brother has seen you at your best moments and your worst moments. But Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. I don't know what that experience would be like. But his brother James knew him. And his brother did not believe, even after seeing miracles and hearing the stories, he did not believe that he was the Messiah until he saw him walking around after he saw him dead. And it says that his brother, James, was not a Christian until after he believed he saw the resurrected Christ. And I think that's saying something. Number six fact, Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, went from killing Christians to starting churches because he had an experience with who he believed was the risen Christ. These are people's testimonies. These are their stories. In a court of law, we would honor these things. We look for witnesses. We look for people who say, this is what I experienced. So we look at the beginning. We look at the divine design, and then we look at the resurrection. But you say, Aaron, why, why do you believe? Why do you believe Christianity is true? That's a great question. It's not just because the Bible says so. And it's not just because of scientific facts. It's because Jesus changed me. It's because I met a whole bunch of people that Jesus had changed their lives. And I started walking with them. And I experienced God's love in a very beautiful, beautiful way. And it changed me. God softened my broken, broken and hardened heart. Restored my marriage, set me free from addiction. Taught me to live life in a way that is free from grudges and offense. <laughs> so my heart is free and clear to love. It's better. God, God's changed everything about my life. He rescued me. He saved me. That's why I believe. I believe it because it's the, the same Jesus who was with God at the creation of the world. He didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the people that were doing good things, that had it all together. Jesus came for sinners like me. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Like me. So you say, well, well, what now, Aaron? What do we do? I still got my doubts. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you being on a journey. I'm okay with you being with us on your journey. I'm not intimidated by your doubts, and neither is God. I may not have the answers, but I'll walk with you until we find some. I'll walk with you till we get to heaven and we can get some. I live with unanswers. 
unanswered questions about life every day. And I know you do too. Each of us will for the rest of our lives. And I feel pressure as a pastor to have all the answers. I feel like you expect me to. I want you to know that I don't. I'm not God. And someday I'll ask him all the things and I'll get to know as much as I can. I'll know as much as he'll allow me to know. Until then, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust his goodness. I'm going to trust his faithfulness. I'm going to trust his unconditional love for me. Do I have doubts? You bet I do. And I know that you do too. But remember this, friends. Your doubts do not disqualify your faith. They don't. The doubts and questions are part of a growing and maturing faith. That's a good thing. And you need to understand that my encouragement to you is if you've got doubts, go find out. Invest yourself in it. Explore it. Take God's invitation because that invitation is taste and see that I'm good. And he is. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us today. I understand that there's conflict within us. I understand that the world wants us to explain everything through knowledge, through what we can understand. But I think that's, that lacks the humility that we need to have as your people to insist that we understand everything. I think it implies that we are God and that we are in control. And while we live in a world that has most of the answers at our fingertips because of Google and our search engines and our AI and all these things, we can find out anything we need to. What we need most, Lord, is not knowledge. It's not clarity. It's not understanding. What we need most is trust. Trust in the good moments. Trust in the bad moments. Trust in the mundane moments. We need to trust you. And so, God, I pray for the grace for each and every single one of us in this room to trust you more. To really believe that you are that good. That you are for us, not against us. That you do love us unconditionally. You love us more than we love ourselves. We are your creation. And that your word says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You took time and intention and purpose to make us. Lord, help us to trust you in that way. Help us, Lord, to reconcile in our hearts the conflict that we have with science and scripture. To really begin to see this as a both and instead of an either or. As we navigate those, those waters, Lord, we ask for your grace. As we continue in this attitude of prayer, I want everybody to keep their head bowed and their eyes closed. And I'm just going to ask this room. There's somebody here who's ready to place your faith in Jesus. What does that mean, Aaron? It does not mean you will be perfect. It does not mean that all of your troubles go away. It does not mean that you will have all the answers. What it means is that you will have Jesus. And he is the reason and the point of this life. It means that you will have a relationship with your creator, your heavenly father who loves you. See, our sin separates us from relationship with God and what Jesus did on the cross paid the price for us to be reunited 
with our Heavenly Father, to be forgiven of our sins. Today, if you're ready to begin a relationship with God through what Jesus did, it just takes simply placing your faith in him and then spending every day pursuing him, following him, becoming more and more like him day by day. If you're ready to receive all that God has for you, to be filled with his spirit, to be empowered, to live the life that he has for you, to be forgiven, to join this spiritual family. Oh, and by the way, it comes with heaven and eternity with God. Man, that's a beautiful thing if you're ready for all of that. I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment. I would love to know if you're here today, you wanna be counted in that prayer. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me today. I wanna be counted in. That's me. I'm making a choice. I'm choosing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now listen, everybody, let's pray together. There's people making commitments today. There's people saying yes to Jesus. So keep your seats for a moment. Let's just stay quiet and still and respect this moment that they are making commitment to follow Jesus. So everybody, let's pray out loud. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving your life. Today, I give you mine. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, heaven's having a party, simple church. Come on, let's celebrate with those who said yes to Jesus today. Come on, it's why we're here. It's why we're here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.